0: Welcome to Uncharted, The Road to Recovery, an FRP podcast hosted by me, Rebecca Byrne Callender. In this seven-part series, we speak to experts and business leaders from across the UK to identify and analyse the issues facing the UK business community in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. This week, we are reviewing the lending landscape. The pandemic created a lot of shifts whether it's government-backed loans and grants or the response from the alternative finance industry. So how will business leaders with ambitions to scale finance growth over the coming months? How will their relationship with lenders change? And how can organisations adapt to ensure they can access and make the most of the available funding? To help me understand the major trends shaping UK lending, I'm joined by Dave Atkinson, Regional Director for Lloyds Bank in the east of England and Head of the SME Manufacturing across the UK. Parminder Bazran, the founder and managing director of VGC Partners, which backs early stage disruptors, will bring the startup and scale up perspective. And from FRP, we have Nick Granger and Tom Cox, both partners in the London Debt Advisory Team. Thank you all for being here today. So first, let's talk about growth. Is growth still on the agenda for businesses? The entrepreneurs and business owners that you're meeting, David, are you seeing that they are still full of them in vigor and vigour and want to take advantage of new opportunities despite the crisis?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, without doubt, there is um, a, a real mixed bag of opportunity that the crisis has brought about for industry. Um, I don't think it's um, a one-size-fits-all approach. There's a, there's a mix of businesses that have been forced to innovate. Um, which have created growth opportunities, and equally, there have been businesses that have um, had to respond to the demands of the crisis to support the likes of, uh, you know, the ventilator challenge and the uh, the Nightingale Hospital. Um, so uh, there is definitely um, some growth opportunity out there, and uh, you know, we've uh, we've seen and been able to support a number of businesses with ambitious and sort of goals throughout the uh, throughout the first few months of this crisis
0: Great. and and tom what kind of growth is being financed are, are businesses growing substantially on last year or have they had a setback and are looking to recover or what have you seen
2: well i think it's um, i think it's very mixed i think in in the main covid's had a big impact on a lot of a lot of businesses unsurprisingly but that it's very very sector dependent and so there are clearly you know very resilient sectors e-commerce healthcare pharma you know tech based businesses that have grown considerably from from you know from where they started equally uh, a number of businesses have 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 stepped back and are really just looking to build a platform now to 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 target returning to where they were before the crisis so it's it's really a very mixed perspective at the moment i think
0: yeah, absolutely. And Paminda, with your perspective, you know, you've got a couple of great businesses in your portfolio. How are they performing? What sectors are they from? Have there been any interesting consequences for those founders?
3: Yeah, so uh, it's, it's been interesting for us. Uh, our two main businesses in our current fund, uh, which we started investing last year. Uh, one is a e-commerce retailer for training apparel. Uh, specifically in the CrossFit space but also across wider functional fitness. People are still working out at home they're still going for runs so that business is up over 100% on last year for this last three month period. We also have a business that sells luxury sneakers. That business is also over 100% up on the previous year. The average order values in that business are quite high so it's a £300 average order values. So that consumer who's spending that amount of money on footwear is still spending, and they're actually not spending in other areas such as restaurants, bars, hotels, holidays, but they are still spending their money at home online. So we've actually seen a positive effect across the majority of our portfolio.
1: Just going to sort of come back in there that consumer behaviour has also created opportunity for lots of businesses you know, we've uh, we've recently supported uh, an Oriental Spice company in uh, in Shropshire, where people have been honing their home cooking whilst they've been in lockdown. Um, I guess partly through uh, something to do, partly through entertainment, partly through because they've had the opportunity. But of course, that does then create opportunity for businesses, um, and the uh, the government-backed Seabulls loan has been, you know, been. Uh, a great source of uh, financial support to that business where they've been able to ramp up production to meet new demand. And I'm sure there's lots of other examples around the country that have been supported in a similar way.
0: And I'm conscious there, David, that when we talk about innovation and businesses pivoting, we're often talking about businesses at the smaller end of the market. Nick, I know that you speak to a lot of business owners um, in the kind of mid-market and above enterprise-sized um, businesses. So are you seeing a similar level of innovation, of, of companies pivoting to focus on higher margin activities? Um, and are those businesses looking for finance right now or is it a different picture?
4: Um, I think, as you might expect, there's been winners and losers throughout. So depending on the sectors, I think uh, Tom just mentioned that healthcare and IT have been quite resilient, e-commerce as well, and um, hygiene sector together with like home delivery and logistics. But um, I think you could probably split them into three kind of different segments, which is those that have kind of needed government support um, through bounce back loans and C bills to kind of survive in the face of reduced revenue and earnings. You then got those that have been able to manage without government support, but a lot of those now have kind of um, depleted cash flows um, and less cash at bank. And then you've got those that have been more resilient uh, and they're pretty well placed to grow and recover, you know, the lost ground and to um, improve their, their, their sales moving forward. So, you know, whether it's a, you know, a business which is in kind of the S of SME kind of kind of sub 25 million revenue or perhaps more the M of SME, um, whether slightly larger, the kind of things that Tom and I deal with kind of routinely, I think the trends actually are relatively consistent across the piece where, you know, good businesses, sometimes in poor sectors can survive um, and can prosper. So, you know, recruitment is not a great sector um, through COVID, although healthcare recruitment is and perhaps IT recruitment is. So I think it needs to be quite clear that, you know, labeling a sector or labeling a a size or shape of business is not necessarily a thing to do.
0: Absolutely. It's tough to generalize when the fates of so many different sectors are so, so different. Um And I suppose that that might actually be the answer to my, to my next question, which is about whether the, the kind of flavor of growth funding is changing at all, whether business owners are looking more at private equity, more at debt, more alternative forms of finance. Um, Tom, I'd love to bring you in here. Are you noticing any trends or is it a completely mixed bag, as with so many other things in this topic?
2: um look, I, I, as ever i think you see you, you see quite polarized approaches i mean the um the, the private equity sponsors that we speak to continue to tell us you know the amount the, the level of dry powder they have to deploy um i think the, the the challenge becomes for private businesses taking on that investment is is continues to be the issue around dilution of control uh, and whether now is the right time to do that And you know some businesses may be forced into that um but i think ultimately Equity funding and preferred equity funding is more likely to be the, um, a bigger part of the solution to this crisis than frankly debt. Um, because clearly there are a lot, a lot of heavily levered businesses in the, in the market generally already and taking on additional credit, um, is not necessarily the the answer, frankly, right now. Um, now there are, there are, you know, alternative, you know, private credit providers that, that offer, um, less on the one hand less cash flow demanding products uh, and they, they you know the, the move towards the institutional credit market may continue as it has done over the last sort of 10 years um but i think we uh, the the solution will will, will come from many, many sources uh, both debt and, debt and equity over the course of the next 2 to 3 years uh, but i think equity will 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 drive a big part of that
0: that's fascinating and i suppose the point about the kind of skew towards equity i mean the government has already made so much money available through the through the various forms of intervention um david i'd love to hear from you sort of how popular have those levers been how many businesses have come through Lloyds alone
1: yeah absolutely and without doubt the uh, the government intervention has been um critical to a number of uh, of businesses um the Seaballs uh, the uh, loans that we agree through our relationship managers team where, um, you know, we have a one-to-one relationship and are able to, um, I've got a relationship and able to understand that business's history as well as its current challenges and the future opportunities, um, you know, we have agreed somewhere in the region of 8,000 of those Seaballs, about 1.5 billion pounds worth of uh, funding with the, uh, the latest reported um, sort of numbers um i i think the the other um sort of key thing to remember here is um support through the furlough scheme um to um allow businesses to go through this period of uncertainty where let's face it we're in uncharted territory here at the moment and lots of businesses are, have, have have never uh, faced into these kind of challenging times and for most of us this particular challenge um you know really is unprecedented so um, we'll see what the true impact is. I think um, when that furlough scheme starts to unwind, um, I think uh, you know lots of businesses have now already started to contribute to retain staff as um, as the scheme starts to uh, to widen. I think the the, the true impact will come uh, when we see how businesses have started to return to trade. There's going to be a tough balance as well for some businesses, particularly in sectors like manufacturing where Do they make that tough decision of trying to find a way to retain staff, knowing that skills is a huge problem for the sector that they may need in six to nine months time? But of course, you know, how do they continue to fund that when business hasn't returned to pre-COVID levels? So there's going to be a considerable number of challenges that these businesses are going to need support on uh, over the next sort of six to nine months.
0: Nick, are you seeing that a lot of the companies taking up these loans, these bounce back loans, C-bills loans, I mean, are they using them? Are they banking them? Are they – what what this growth finance, are they actually using it to grow or are they using it to kind of batten down the hatches?
4: Yeah, look, I mean, um, there's been – I think, you know, to the end of July, um, the government has supported kind of £50 billion worth of intervention measures through bounce back loans and C-bills and CL bills. And that's to kind of like 1.2 million SMEs. And the vast majority of those are, you know, small businesses with, you know, a limited number of employees where they qualify for a bounce back loan of on average £30,000. So in many circumstances, I think those loans have been used to either survive or to provide dry powder to help them in the coming months. When you look slightly up the curve in terms of the, the slightly bigger businesses, I think that yeah growth is there. And as Tom alluded to earlier on, there is a wall of capital, whether that's equity from private equity or whether it's some kind of recapitalization from the government or whether it's debt from the high street banks, asset based lenders, alternative finance providers. I mean There's lots of capital around, but they just need to back the right business at the right time in the right sector.
0: Now that makes sense, I suppose are we worried when we look to the future that when all these emergency loans mature, we're kind of heading into some kind of crisis? I mean David, you must think about this quite a lot. Are we kind of walking into a bit of a nightmare in a year 's time
1: I, I think it's unfair to make predictions of uh, of what the of what the future holds at the moment. I mean we uh, you know if i if I play back at the start of the crisis where we had not surprisingly the biggest peak of demand for the government funding schemes, um, but partway through that, there are still a number of businesses that, uh, whilst they've got the funding, thought they needed the funding, they've not used it to the extent that they originally planned for, because they've been very agile and been able to find new ways of, of trading, and of course, they've also used other um, support mechanisms available. The biggest thing is making sure we're prepared to, um, you know, continue to find ways to pragmatically support, help and guide those businesses. You know, we know that some will undoubtedly face difficulties. And, um, you know, those challenging times is, uh, is is what we're preparing for now to empathetically and uh, and sympathetically do everything we possibly can to, uh, to deal with that.
0: Absolutely. And I totally hear where you're coming from about the uncertainty and, and the fact that we just don't know. Tom, can you talk to me about whether businesses are, you know, they've often taken some time out of the business. Many have had a little bit of time, maybe downtime, or at least they've regained some of their working day because they're not commuting. They're maybe being a bit more strategic. So a lot of them, are they looking to refinance? Are they restructuring their debt? Are they kind of taking that that kind of more strategic view with their finance? What have you noticed?
2: It's a good question. I think what, what what this crisis has, has demonstrated is you know some management teams have really taken the opportunity to step back and throw their operating models up in the air as a result of necessity frankly um and you know to a certain degree having the benefit of of time and you know, the ability to step back and think about how you do business has been actually helpful for some and so whether that's, you know, restructuring your supply chain, changing your production model, you know, maybe moving towards dark kitchens in, you know, for delivery, in, in, you know, into home delivery for, for, for dining. It's accelerated a lot of that growth in terms of people looking to refinance the, the loans. If it comes back to the point they made. It's a bit early to tell. I think most, most clients are already thinking about repaying that additional debt as soon as they can. You know, some of them are, are sitting on cash reserves. Uh, And we'll just, you know, assuming that, that, you know, we don't have a second wave, we don't have another lockdown, you know, they will repay it as fast as possible because they don't want that excess leverage. And or they're looking at uh, the structure of those facilities and clearly a number of them will have amortizing elements, albeit structured to their revised business plans and saying, well, that may well ultimately impede growth over the course of the next two or three years. So we may well need to find a way of refinancing it with a better, perhaps non-amortizing structure.
1: Yeah Tom I, um, I I agree with you actually in terms of um businesses reflecting on what they've got but equally it's not all doom and gloom because some businesses um you know have maybe taken a bounce back loan as a, a knee jerk reaction uh, it's available maybe i need something when you actually get under the uh, the muck and bullets of uh, what's going on in their business actually um if they had taken or had the guidance to take a little bit more time to assess what they actually needed we are starting to very carefully refinance some of those bands back loans into c bills where the business maybe hadn't considered the true impact particularly where we start to think about you know what that platform is for growth i guess is uh, is a, is a, is another question but where we see businesses coming out of a recessionary period um you know we know that lots of businesses will face cash flow difficulties at a greater level coming out with growth than what they do going into a recessionary period or a or a downturn, so making sure they've got sufficient and structured in the right way to support growth opportunities, um, you know, is equally as important. And some of that refinancing may well, um, you know, support that. You know, R. Howard is a great example in uh, in, uh, in 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 over in the East England where you know they've taken um, around three hundred thousand pounds worth of government support, and exactly what you said they've used the opportunity for the downturn one to keep the business trading because some of it was business critical but equally to invest time to accelerate the growth of um you know eco-friendly products which they'd planned to do but just never got the time to do so this will actually pivot them and give them a platform to accelerate growth when we uh, when we do come out of this
0: And we talked a lot about the innovation that we're seeing amongst businesses and that this is a time to kind of go for growth if you have a model that works and that you, you know, you're resilient. But I'd like to look a little bit about, I'd like to look at how lenders themselves may need to change. Uh, So I've been reading a lot about agile lenders, that the rise of the agile lender post-COVID. I mean, is that a real phenomenon, or? traditional lenders like banks as well as alternative finance houses are they changing dramatically as a result of the pandemic or is that is that kind of just an illusion
4: yeah i'll, I'll tell that um uh, rebecca if you want but um yeah so our, our business kind of spans across you know all manner of uh debt providers you know from asset-based lenders um, to cash flow and leverage finance providers, to special situations businesses, to debt funds and credit funds. And I think, um, a big part of the growth, which, you know, this podcast is all about really is, is focused on ABL to a degree because, um, as businesses start to trade more, to sell more, they'll have more receivables. So therefore, you know, an invoice discounting or factoring facility is going to become more beneficial to them to fund that working capital requirement and equally if a business holds stock and inventory of finished goods or is a manufacturer um you know some kind of um asset based lending facility to leverage against that asset class is equally going to be good as well so you know, i think you know you know advisors generally frp specifically are pretty well placed to help you know, kind of the, the medium sized enterprises to to navigate their way through um the challenges that are going to be there from increase working capital demand as businesses start to grow and get back to where they were. I, I
2: think I'd just add to that that clearly the the, the the UK clearing banks are always going to have their place to play in the market, but over the course of the last ten years we have seen a huge growth in the alternative private credit world. And I think as a result of the frankly the pressure that will have been created on on those the balance sheets of those banks uh, as a result of the issuance of a lot of the government support, uh, even if it is guaranteed. Uh, will mean that you know we will see a continuing growth of the alternative market because it will have a different because it, it does have a different credit appetite to the clearing market.
1: I think it's important that um, businesses out there get the right advice because we all have our place to play in the market. Different financiers and different structures of lending, whether it be venture capital, whether it be growth capital, whether it be startup Seacorn funding you know a traditional high street bank you know we all have our place to play and understanding the role of those different institutions for a business's uh, stage in its life cycle i think is really important for from a Lloyd's perspective you know we have always um or, or, or certainly for the last sort of nine or ten years we've adopted a very simple uk focused low risk approach that with relationship managers there supporting clients through the cycle. So we've been very consistent. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see any change uh, or desire or need to change that strategy. Um, so uh, I think the uh, the key important message behind all of this is um, helping clients understand where each one of those different types of financiers fit in their life cycle and whether they're talking to the right one at the right time.
0: But it's interesting, isn't it? Because they, that all these alternative forms of finance have been around for a while. But is it the case that maybe business owners have more appetite to try something new now or that they are, they are somehow kind of it, that the pandemic has changed their attitude to, to kind of embracing the new. Tom, what do you think?
2: Well, I think it's by necessity a number of borrowers or, or, or private shareholders have had to broaden their horizons. Now that, you know, that alternative market has expanded exponentially in the last 10 years but today's point there are there's a different risk tolerance for different institutions and it's about us as advisors directing them to, to the right place that has the right risk tolerance frankly and so you know unfortunately for some clients that will mean it, it isn't the traditional senior bank you know pricing or, or, or solution that is going to be one that lifts them out of the crisis it could be something you know considerably unfortunately considerably more expensive but that may be the price of liquidity
0: And Parminder, can I bring you in? Have you seen changes to risk tolerance? Do you agree with Tom?
3: We are seeing there's been an uptick in the number of investment opportunities that we've been looking at. And we see that's going to be continuing through the rest of the year and into next year. I think the entrepreneurs that we're speaking to are realising that, one, they may want to de-risk themselves from their businesses a little bit. So some of them may want to take a bit of cash off the table and just secure their future. We're also seeing some entrepreneurs, a lot of them are realizing that, you know, above just money, um, firms like ourselves can help them navigate difficult periods, help them grow their businesses, help them build new or existing revenue streams and bring a bit more discipline and structure to how they operate. And that is becoming more and more important to a lot of these, a lot of these founders. So, we, we've certainly seen an uptick in interest, um, in, in entrepreneurs wanting to find out more about what a partnership with a firm like us could bring them and their business.
0: And I'd love to do a bit of, um, kind of crystal ball gazing because the way that we're talking about access to capital now it feels like there's a lot of money out there good businesses won't struggle but what about in a year two years three years time are we are we imagining that this environment will persist or are we likely to see big changes um nick i might try and pick your brains on this one
4: yeah it's it's nice to uh, to to gaze into the crystal ball but i'm not sure any of us actually know what the future holds Um... You know, I think the the lockdown and the scale of the government intervention has represented kind of like a historic experiment in many ways.
0: Mm. You know, it's,
4: it's been like a 100-year storm. The government's put out the sandbags, you know, the water level rose, and we're not sure what's going to happen next. And a lot, a lot of things will depend on whether there's a V-shaped recovery or a W-shaped recovery or whatever. But um, irrespective of all of that kind of economic, social background, I can absolutely guarantee there will be a lot of capital Still to deploy um, for the right businesses, you know. So whether that's equity through firms such as VGC Partners, or whether that's debt through Lloyd's Bank or others, and whether the you know, people access that through FRP Advisory is, is it, who knows. But um, you know, there will always be a lot of capital to support good management teams running good businesses.
0: David, you were nodding there. Do you share Nick's confidence?
1: what i do share is that we uh, we don't know what the future holds do we know what um what the next sort of 6 months 12 months will hold we can model we can um we, we can reflect but we, we genuinely don't know but uh, what i do know is that regardless of um you know what uh, economic challenges we face um you know our intention um you know is to be there and support our clients through this as it will be for uh, you know, for for FRP and BGC, exactly the same. I'm sure. You know, we will uh, we will react um, to market conditions at the time and do the very best we can by our clients.
0: And I suppose it it, it would be worth talking through. Given the level of uncertainty and the amount of capital that's available to deploy, and it sounds like will consistently be available for the foreseeable, you know, notwithstanding any major changes. What should business owners now look for, particularly in a lender or investor? Um, Palmenda, I mean, obviously you advise the companies in your portfolio are also in that network. When you're having conversations with entrepreneurs, whether they're in your portfolio or not, what are you telling them to look out for, to ask for, to be aware of? Yeah.
3: So, from our from our perspective, I think that we are supporting people who are looking for more than just money, mm. and that's quite that's quite an interesting point because you know you can you can easily take one of these debt facilities burn through the money pretty quickly or waste it. The The people that we're meeting and the people that we're interested in backing are interested in building great systems in their businesses, great processes. They probably want to grow in uh, uh, several international markets. They probably want to invest in people. They probably want to be, be invest in marketing. So a lot of what we're doing now is post-investment integration work around the 180-day plans that we do post-investment to support the businesses. And that's become far more of a focus now. I think that, you know, gone are the days of firms like mine just spraying money around. I think there's a lot more focus on ops. Our business is focused on ops. We have specific operations teams to support entrepreneurs. And that's coming into its own a little bit more now than just the provision of capital.
1: The point that you said about what uh, your clients are looking for is more than just the lender. Um, certainly, our approach to relationship banking, you know, is something that we uh, we work, uh, you know, very proudly with with our with our clients. And I think what they tell us is they want consistency. They want uh, a through the cycle approach to supporting their sort of business needs, so they know what they're going to get, regardless of the challenges of the economic cycle that they're in. But equally, they look for value add. Um, so they want us to be able to signpost them to other support services, not just within the bank, but within connections within the professional community that can help them with any, any manner of their challenges that they're facing into. They, you know, they want that one stop, uh, relationship to, uh, to be able to be signposted to get all of the help, uh, and support they need, uh, from the bank and also from, uh, from our connections.
2: Yeah. I don't think anything's changed here ultimately in, 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 in so far as, Lender relationships with with clients ultimately relationship is absolutely critical and what this what this period has proven is that frankly flexibility and collaboration are the things that are going to to allow businesses to get out of this crisis and If you look at in the private equity world or the private equity based businesses, I think lenders have been much more responsive to equity houses that have been collaborative with them in terms of solving the problem, and that's where their relationship has has proven it's worth. And that, you know, I think it will become a little bit less about lowest common denominator in financing, whether it's trying to save 25 basis points off the deal or, or, or squeeze some additional flexibility out of the documents. OK, it'll be an area of the market where that always happens, but it will be about how do we together plot our way out or, or, or put the financing um, solution in place that allows the business to, to grow properly out of the crisis. And when there are bumps in the road, we know exactly how we're going to we, each side's going to behave.
0: Nick, I'd like to give you the final word on this. I loved your metaphor about the hundred-year storm. So I hope you've got another one up your sleeve for this. So do you agree that it's all about value add when it comes to picking an investor, picking a lender? Are there other considerations that you are seeing coming to the fore?
4: Yeah, I think the most important thing is is the relationship, as um as Dave kind of alluded to. So um, when you've got good bankers who are proactive in their regions, you know, trying to support the businesses within the confines of their own. Their own capital structure yeah that that's where it's at its strongest, but yeah the, it's not to say that's just the domain of the major banks I mean we've got a whole raft of challenger banks as well, you have people like Clydesdale and Shawbrook and Oak North and Metro to a degree um who are kind of nibbling at the heels of the of the big four or big five, and they all want to deliver exceptional service, so you know it's down to each of those particular providers to try and differentiate their offerings and to provide that level of customer contact and customer competence that um, their clients require.
0: Thank you, Nick. I think that's a good place to stop. Um, thank you all so much for your insights. That's been really interesting just to look at how positive the lending landscape is. And you'd imagine it would be a lot murkier of you. But in fact, it looks like there's a lot to be cheerful about. Thank you all so much for joining me today. And thank you, thank you everyone who's listening. Next week on Uncharted, The Road to Recovery, we'll be talking about technology and its growing influence in the world of forensic investigations. The effects of the coronavirus pandemic have only increased its usage and we'll be discussing how AI, machine learning and data collection can be used for the better. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for the next episode to be automatically downloaded to your phone.